Tonight I want you to turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I must admit I got a call. Randy called me uh, Thursday afternoon and said, Brad, you need to preach Sunday night. So my first thing was, Randy, I think I'm going to go to the old file and find one of those good old ones. And uh, so that's what I did. And uh, I think I preached this sermon uh, three or four times. Uh, and I preached it as a young preacher and probably have learned, didn't know what I was doing then and uh, just know a little bit of what I'm not doing now. So um, I, I might have learned a little bit, but uh, it was a sermon that I preached probably 15 years ago as a young preacher. And uh, so I want to try to preach it again and uh, see what happens tonight. Uh, we learned a lot as young preachers. I'm like the, uh, the young preacher who was uh, new to the town in a little old country town and the uh, undertaker called him and says there's a homeless man that's uh, died and uh, he has no family no friends said would you perform his graveside service he said yes sir i'll be uh, glad to do that he told him where it was at way out in the country he had to go down this road turn down this dirt road find the cows turn down the cows road go along the fence corner find the pecan tree turn that way well of course as a man he got lost and he would not ask directions so finally after some time after he was late an hour late he spotted the backhoe and the workers there as they were beside the graveside the hearse was gone so he pulled into there and uh, he saw the workers and they were sitting there eating their lunch he went up to the graveside the lid was already on the graveside and uh, he preached his heart out and buddy he preached from generation uh, Genesis all the way to Revelations and as he preached the workers they were right there saying amen amen preach on brother preach on and he preached his heart out and finally he prayed the prayer he shut his bible and he went to his car and it was he was taking off his jacket one of the workers says says man i've never seen that in all my years of work and i've been putting down septic tanks for 25 years so um we learn a lot as young preachers first corinthians chapter 15 verse number one here paul is a writer He's writing to the church at Corinth. Here there's a group of people in Corinth that have come before him. They um, were questioning and doubting at times that uh, 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 thing of the, uh, the resurrection of the body. They believed in life after death, but they were questioning uh, the, the, the bodily resurrection. And so Paul is addressing these, these people here as we looked at this uh, resurrection chapter. And, and chapter number 15. And this is what Paul says to him in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. Paul is saying, this is the same gospel that was preached to you years ago, that was preached generations before that and generations before that. This was the same gospel that you were saved by. This is the same gospel that you came to know Jesus Christ. It hasn't changed. It hasn't altered. It's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is how you were saved. And he says, but if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, and get this, unless ye have believed, underline believed, in vain unless ye have believed in vain what what paul is saying here to these people he's saying if you don't believe in the resurrection of the body then you can't believe in salvation because you can't believe one thing and not believe the whole gospel of jesus christ if you take one thing out of the gospel then you got to take everything out so paul is telling them if you don't believe in the resurrection then you believed in vain but this is a gospel that saved you and this gospel is not changed one bit for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how the Christ died for our sins, 
according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Father, we thank you for this authoritative, infallible word of God. And Father, we thank you for this service that you have brought to our attention this evening. As we sang Emmanuel, Jesus, the great Redeemer, how wonderful you are today, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done and what you're going to do. Open our ears, Lord. Use my voice tonight, Lord. It's not my voice. It's yours. It's your, your text this evening, Lord. And I just pray, that, Lord, that hearts will be touched and lives will be, be won to Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. There was an uneducated, uh, I mean, an educated English evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. And several years ago, Gypsy Smith was riding on a train. And as he sat down on the train, he, he sat by a young man. And as he began to share with this man and talk with this man about Christ, the man, the man began to listen to him. And he began to show him the way of salvation, how he could be saved. He went through the whole whole spill about how he can know Jesus Christ here on earth and how he can know Jesus Christ after this earth. And he prayed with this man, and finally when he finished talking with this man and praying with this man, the man looked Gypsy Smith in the eyes, and he said, Sir, he said, You must be dreaming. Gypsy Smith replied, If I'm dreaming, let me dream on. If I'm dreaming, if what this all about is a dream, then just leave me alone. I just like my dream. Just let me dream on. Gypsy Smith wrote a song like that. If I'm dreaming, just let me dream on. The question tonight is, are we as Christians, are we dreaming? Are we dreaming tonight about what we read, what, about what we preach, about what we teach, about what we sing? Is it all a figment of our imagination or is Christ truly real? Are we dreaming tonight? Or is all of this just part of a scenario tonight? Millions of people can testify here on earth that what we do each and every day is real. Each and every Sunday we come into this service is real. There's millions in heavens that are loved ones of ours that can testify that Christ is real. They said, on earth, I, I, I had the opportunity. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I had that wonderful pleasure. Now I'm in heaven, uh, up in the, in, in the heavens of heaven tonight. But also, unfortunately, there's many in hell that said, I had the opportunity also. I had that opportunity to be saved, but I chose the world. And now the things of the world. And now I have to live with that. Yes, this gospel of Jesus Christ is real. I want us for the next few moments tonight to look at some things that are real. Look at some things that are concrete, that are without doubt, that, are, that, that we can't argue about. These are things that are, are, are stamped in the Word of God. These things are real in the Word of God. It's a simple sermon, but I think sometimes we have to be reminded of these things. We have to be reminded of, of the simple things of, of, of salvation, of our Christian walk. Number one is God is real. Psalms 19, verse number 1. The heavens declare that the glory and the firmament showeth His handiwork. We look at the seven wonders of the world, and we know that God's hand is in it. We know that the, that the great Messiah has had His hand in, this, in, in, in the construction of this world. The evolutionist tells us that centuries ago, the sun was just spinning around and around until it just threw off a lump of matter, and that was what became Earth. They tell us that some of us were made, or all of us were made, out of animals. We know that's the evolution. 
I don't believe that. Sometimes my son makes me want to think that when he does leaps and jumps and wants to climb walls and stuff. I wonder sometimes, are you part of evolution? But I know he's not. He went jumping last night, a couple nights ago, playing in the bathtub. He won't tell us today what he's done, but he was in the bathtub and slipped popped his chin and got four stitches. So uh, he won't tell us yet what he's done, but I know what he was doing. He was doing some, some leaping and jumping around in the bathtub. But this is what evolution says. This is all part of just, just something that's happened. Nobody had the hand in him, but be reminded of the words of Genesis. What does it say in chapter 1? In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And let us make man in our own image. And as we look around us, as we look at the things around us, we look at the solar system. We know that God had his hand in it. God put the stars. He put the moon. He put the sun. He put it all into place. We go up and we, many of us will, will travel up in October. My parents do it every year. They travel up in October. They look at the beautiful mountains and the, tree, the leaves as they, as they change color. And we say, oh, how beautiful this is. God had his hand in that. We all have that favorite place that we like to go. And we like to look at God's creation and what God has done in our, in our, in our, in our world today. John said, all things were made by him. And without him was nothing made that was made. God is real tonight. Psalms 14 verse number 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is no God. There's a story about some ast Russian astronauts that went to the moon and as they journeyed back one of them says i looked and i looked and i looked i didn't see no god there can't be a god out there well i don't know if that's what david was talking about when he says only the foolish say there is no god there is no god i remember mark lowry i like to listen to him he's a good singer but he's a funny guy too and but he gives a great illustration on one of his his broadway cd and he talks about if i had a had his uh, watch and if he took this watch apart, every part of this watch, and put it in a bag, and, and just shook it up and down for millions and millions of years, the probability of that watch going back together is absolutely impossible. Well, that's what evolution says. All of these things, what just happened, just happened, just fell into place. But we know that God had his hand in it. That's what God had in his hand in. My dad has gone to, has learned, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, uh, has learned the computer. And so now I get about a dozen uh, emails from him every day just because he gets stuff and he likes to send it on to me. So, but he sent something and it, it's, it's a little long, but I thought it was very good. And uh, I thought it fitted in, uh, fit in well tonight with what I was saying. So just bear with me a few minutes. But it's, it's about science versus God. Let me explain the problem science has with Jesus Christ. The atheist professor of philosophy pauses before his class and then asks one of his new students to stand. You're a Christian, aren't you, son? Yes, sir, the student says. You, so you believe in God? Absolutely. Is God good? Sure, God's good. Is God all-powerful? Can God do anything? Yes. Are you good or evil? Well, the Bible says I'm evil. The professor grins knowingly. Ah, oh, the Bible, he considers for a moment. Here's one for you. Let's say that there's a sick person over here, and you can cure him. You can do it. Would you help him? Would you try? Yes, sir, I would. So you're good. I wouldn't say that. But why not say that? You'd help a sick and maimed person if you could. If you, if you could. Most of us would if we could, but God doesn't. 
The student does not answer, so the professor continued. He doesn't, does he? My brother was a Christian who died of cancer, even though he prayed to Jesus to heal him. How is this Jesus good? Hmm. Can you answer that one? The student remains silent. No, you can't, can you? The professor says he takes a sip of water from a glass on his desk to give the student time to relax. Let's start again. Young fellow, is God good? Uh, yes, the student says. Is Satan good? The student doesn't hesitate on this one. No. Then, there, then where does Satan come from? The student, from God? That's right. God made Satan, didn't he? Tell me, son, is there evil in this world? Yes, sir. Evil's everywhere, isn't it? And God didn't make everything correct. Yes. So who created evil? The professor continued. If God created everything, then God created evil. Since evil exists, and according to this principle that our works define who we are, then God is evil. Without allowing the student to answer, the professor continues. Is there sickness, immorality, hatred, ugliness, all these terrible things? Do they exist in the world? The student said, yes. So who created them? The student does not answer again, so the professor repeats his question. Who created them? There's still no answer. Suddenly, the lecturer breaks away to pace in front of the classroom. This class is mesmerized. Tell me, he continues on to another student, do you believe in Jesus Christ, son? The student's voice is confident. Yes, professor, I do. The old man stops pacing. Science says you have five senses you use to identify and observe the world around you. Have you ever seen Jesus? No, sir. I've never seen him. Then tell us if you've ever heard Jesus. No, sir, I have not. Have you ever actually ever felt your Jesus, tasted your Jesus, or smelt your Jesus? Have you ever had the, the sensory perception of Jesus Christ, or God for that matter? No, sir, I'm afraid I haven't. Yet you still believe in him. Yes. According to the rules of empirical, testable, demonstrable, uh, a prodigal science says your God doesn't exist. What do you say to that, son? Nothing, the student replies. I only have my faith. Yes, faith, the professor repeats. And that is a problem science has with this God. There is no evidence, only faith. The student stands quietly for a moment before asking a question of his own. Professor, is there a such thing as heat? Yes, the professor replies. There's heat. And is there a such thing as cold? Yes, son, there is cold too. No, there isn't. The professor turns to face the student, obviously interested. The room suddenly becomes very quiet. And the student begins to explain. You can have lots of heat, even more heat, super heat, mega heat, ultimate heat, white heat, and a little heat or no heat. But we don't have anything called cold. We can heat it. We can hit up to 458 degrees below zero, which is no heat. But we can't go any further after that. There is no such thing as cold. Otherwise, we would be able to go colder than the lowest, minus 455 degrees. Everybody or object is susceptible to study when it has or transmit energy. And heat, uh, what makes a body or matter have a transmit energy, absolutely zero, minus 455 degrees is a total absence of heat. You see, sir, cold is only a word we use to describe the absence of heat. We cannot measure cold. Heat we can measure in thermal units because heat is energy. Cold is not the opposite of heat, sir, just the absence of it.
Silence across the room. A pin dropped somewhere in the classroom, sounding like a hammer. What about darkness, Professor? Is there a such thing as darkness? Yes, the professor replies without hesitation. What is night if it isn't darkness? You're wrong again, sir. Darkness is not something. It is the absence of something. You can have low light, normal light, bright light, flashing light. But if you have no light constantly, you have nothing, and it's called darkness, isn't it? That's the meaning we use to define the word. In reality, darkness isn't. If it weren't, you would be able to make darkness darker, wouldn't you? The professor begins to smile at the student in front of him. This will be a good semester. So what point are you making, young man? Yes, professor, my point is your, your philosophical premises is flawed to start with, and so your conclusion must also be flawed. The professor's face cannot hide a surprise this time. Flawed? Can you explain how? You are working on the premises of duality, the student explains. You argue that there is life and that there's death, a good God and a bad God. You are viewing the concept of God as something finite, something we can measure. Sir, science can't even explain a thought. It uses electricity and magnetism, but has never seen much less fully understood either one. To view death as the opposite of light is to be ignorant of the fact that death cannot exist as a substantive thing. Death is not the opposite of life, just the absence of it. Now tell me, Professor, do you teach your students that they evolve from a monkey? If you are referring to the natural evolutionary process, yes, young man, yes, of course I do. Have you ever observed evolution of your own eyes, sir? The professor begins to shake his head, still smiling as he realizes where the argument is going. A very good semester indeed. Since no one has ever observed the process of evolution at work and cannot even prove that this process is an ongoing endeavor, are you not teaching your opinion, sir? Are you not a scientist but a preacher? The class is in uproar. The student remains silent until the commotion has subsided. To continue the point you were making earlier to the other student, let me give you an example of what I mean. The student looks around the room. Is there anyone in the class who has ever seen the professor's brain? The class breaks out into laughter. Is there anyone here who has ever heard the professor's brain, felt the professor's brain, touched or smelled the professor's brain? No one appears to have done so. So according to the established rules of empirical, stable, demonstrable protocol science, such says that you have no brain. With due respect, sir. So if science says you have no brain, how can we trust your lecture, sir? Now this room is silent. The professor just stares at the student, his face unreadable. Finally, after what seems an eternity, the old man answers, I guess you'll have to take them on faith. Now you accept that there is faith. And in fact, faith exists with life. The student continues, now, sir, is there a such thing as evil? Now, certain the professor responds, of course there is. We see it every day. It is daily example of man's inhumanity to man. It is a multitude, multitude of crime and violence everywhere in the world. These manifestations are nothing else but evil. To this, the student replies, evil does not exist, sir, or at least it does not exist unto itself. Evil is simply the absence of God. It is just like darkness and cold, a word that, can, that man has created to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. Evil is a result of what happens when God does not have God's love present in his heart. It's the love that it's, it's like the cold that comes when there is no heat or the darkness that comes when there is no light. The professor sat down. Is God real? Is God real tonight? He's real in my life tonight. 
Science tries to say God is not real, but they try, and they try, and they try, and they try, but praise be unto God, God is real tonight. And that just as science tries to disprove God, science gives multiple evidence of the existence of God. If we take the, the law of cause and effect, we say that this caused this, caused this, caused this, and this caused this, caused this. Somewhere we have to get back to an uncaused cause, and uncaused cause is God. If we we look at the all of the law of entropy says that the universe is sliding downward so we say the universe is sliding downward so it's not so it's self-sustaining if it's not self-sustaining then it had to have an uncaused cause the uncaused cause goes back to say that God is real in our life today if we look at the world the law of design and if we look at all of the, uh, the God's creation the solar system the stars the planets and all these things that have been spinning around and around for thousands and thousands of years and that have never collided. Somebody had to create these things. God created these things. God is real tonight. If we look at the ocean, that thing that is a thermostat for us here on earth, we know that it takes great cold to heat up this ocean right out here. But has anybody ever seen this ocean frozen? It takes great heat to make this ocean boil, to come have steam come out of it. But has anybody ever seen this ocean out here boil to the point? No, but if we did not have the ocean, if we didn't have that thing to protect, protect us to be that cushion, that thermostat, we would freeze to death or burn or, or, or burn up to death in the heat. But, but because of God's creation and God's bringing forth the ocean before us, God created these things. And because of God, we have these things all around us. God is real. He's real tonight. If we look at the size of the earth, if it was just a little bit smaller, we would have no atmosphere. We could not sustain life. If we had this earth was bigger, it would be free of, of, of hydrogen, just as Saturn and Jupiter are. And it could not be able to sustain life likewise. If we were just a little closer to the sun, we would burn up. If we were just a little further away, we would freeze to death. This world is tilted on an axis and is spinning around and around. And that's how we get the seasons of the year. Winter, fall, summer, spring. Why? Because God is real. And God created the heavens and the earth. And only a fool would say, God did not have his hand in it. Can you say amen tonight? Are you dead tonight or do you believe God's real tonight? Amen? God is love. Even though he condemns sin, God is love. He's on our side. He loves us so much that he's willing to, to, to be there to, at our side to convict us when we have sin in our life. God loves us that much. There's a story of, of Moody Tabernacle. There was a young man that was, my goodness, I was singing for an hour before, and now I got caught mouth like I can't believe. Anyway, we, there's a story about Moody Tabernacle, about a young man who was walking by that great tabernacle, and he looked up and through the doors that were open, and he saw the sign behind the, 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 the cross there in the, in the sanctuary. It said, God loves you. And he thought to himself, God doesn't love me. God has no use for me. How can he love a poor old sinner like me? How could he have any love for me? And he went on down the road, and that three words kept going over in his mind and his mind. God loves you. God loves you. He turned around. He went back. He went into the sanctuary, and he stared up at that sign, God loves you. Finally, Dr. Moody came in and put his arms around and said, Sir, can I help you? He said, Sir, I cannot believe this. God loves me a poor rotten sinner. I have nothing to give. I'm just here, just a, just a homeless man. I have nothing to give. But God loves us. Why? Because God is real in our life. God is omnipotent. 
He has all power. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Look back at Psalms 139 and verse number 7. Psalms 139 and verse number 7. David writes so beautifully, Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I free from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall guide me. God is real, and he's everywhere. He's at our disposal this evening tonight. But one day we will meet him face to face. That great judgment day, what will his response be to you? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. When you look Jesus, when you look God face to face, will he say, well done. You did a good job. I'm proud of you. We can say, yes, Lord, I did it because I knew all along you were real. You had your hand in my life. And I thank God that God is real tonight. The second thing we can say is that Christ is real. For almost 30 years of my life, he's been my closest friend. I just still think of that wonderful time as a little child as I went down to the altar and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Some of you could say it's 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Anybody go past 60? No? I'm looking at you. I think he's been past 60, right? <laughs> God, Christ is real. He was real in our life when we gave our heart to him. We can testify of it. Do we testify the reality of Christ? The prophets sang about him. They pointed their fingers to him. And the New Testament revealed him. As we sang tonight, he is wonderful. Wonderful. I love the singing tonight. His name is Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. Christ is real in our lives tonight. He's real. He's real in our lives. He that hath seen me has seen his Father, Jesus says. And as we look at all the people around us tonight, the millions that have, have trusted in Jesus, and the millions that are here in the, in the world, billions that are in the world, what do they say? What is God like? What is He like? Does He care for us? Does He, does he, does he have compassion for us? There's a story about a missionary that was in India, and he walked into the, one of the temples in, in India. And uh, as he was standing there, a lady came in with her sick baby, and she just lifted her up. And began to pray. And the missionary asked her, says, who are you praying to? She says, I don't know, but there ought to be somebody out there who loves me enough and loves my child enough to heal her and touch her. And he said, yes, there is. Jesus Christ. Because Christ is real. He cares for us. We may ask, how can a sinful life get into a relationship with God? The Word of God says, come unto me, all that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All of us who, who have never put that faith in Him, how can we get into right relationship with this Christ? How can I make my life count? The Word of God says, don't live for yourself, but live for others and live for Jesus Christ. Live for Jesus Christ and live for others. He gives the example of the wheat, that if we just put it on the shelf, if we put that dry piece of wheat on the shelf, it'll just sit there and just be an ornament on that shelf. But if we take that dead piece of dried up, a seed and then we drop it into the ground it produces fruit we water it we give it god's sunshine it becomes life and life everlasting and it becomes useful to the kingdom of god what can i do to make my life count 
That's why I like to be around God's people. I don't want to sit up on a shelf on Sunday night. I don't want to sit up on a shelf on Sunday morning. I don't want to sit up on a shelf in Sunday school. I don't want to be, sit up on a shelf when, when all of the activities of the, of the church are going on. I want to be with God's people and God's wonderful people. We were with God's people on Friday night. Sixty-five of them gathered at our home for the choir party. And boy, we had a wonderful time. We're not going to tell you anything about it. That's the choir secret, all right? We had a wonderful time. We were with God's people. We sang. We sang Christmas carols. We had a wonderful time. Some of them, I had to make them go home because I was tired. I was wanting to go to bed and they wouldn't go home. All they wanted to do was sing. But we had a wonderful time. Why? Because Christ is real. We've experienced Him. We found Him within our heart and we know that Christ is real tonight. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is real. Before Jesus went back to heaven, He said, I am going away. But I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you the Holy Spirit, and He will comfort, sustain, and guide you. The Holy Spirit, that one that dwells within us, is real tonight. He convicts us of sin. For the non-Christian, He points out a sin in our life. And for the Christian, He reminds us. He regenerates our life and repoints us and shows us the sins that we, 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 we fail in, in His life every day. And Christ convicts us of these sins. The Holy Spirit convicts us of these sins. He points us to the Savior. He says, look to Him in faith. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The, the, the Holy Spirit seals until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit causes us to remember. He, he calls us to remember through the Word. He causes us to remember through experiences. The Holy Spirit teaches us God's will. The Holy Spirit convicts us in time of sorrow. The Holy Spirit gives us power over Satan. The Holy Spirit empowers us for service for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is real in our lives tonight. But also, Satan is real. And if you are a Christian, you know that Satan is real. On one side, you got the Holy Spirit, and on the other side, you got Satan, and there's a battle going on. If you ain't got a battle going on in your life, let me give you an invitation right now, because if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, the devil ain't going to mess with you. But if you're a child of God, he's going to battle you each and every day. Satan is real. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking who may, may devour. He's there, willing and waiting to devour. Uh, uh, one of the children's got a little lion that says, I roar all day. And that's what makes me think of this scripture. I don't think he's talking about bedtime. I don't know how a lion can make you go to bedtime. But uh, the Bible says a lion is a roaring lion. Satan is real, but also salvation is real. Salvation is real. Paul knows that salvation is real. The writer here tonight can testify that salvation is real. Paul was one of the dirtiest sinners of all sinners. If you could rank what a sinner was, he was, a, he was the dirtiest of the dirtiest. Uh, Paul was trying to, to stamp out Christianity. He was trying to put away, with, put away with all of the Christianity things. But Paul was minding his own business one day, walking down a Damascus road, and all of a sudden a light shone in his face. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ's light shine on him. Paul can testify that, G that salvation is real in his life today. The fisherman Peter can testify that salvation is real. The old rugged fisherman knew, did not know Jesus Christ, but he came into favor with Jesus Christ. One of the salvation that I always remember when I was pastoring with my granddad and 
in Panama, Panama City, Florida. I may have told you this story. One Sunday night, just as tonight, the lady came in, some of the beautiful long black hair, about halfway down her, uh, her back, came down in our service and sat down with her mother-in-law, Sister McCumbers. And Angie sat there, and when the invitation was given, Angie came forth and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Some weeks later, we had Angie give her testimony. And Angie's testimony was that morning, her and her husband, her mother-in-law's son, were in their house with this, the prettiest little baby you could imagine, beautiful, curly, blonde hair. They were in their home smoking marijuana, getting high right in front of this little baby. But her, her mother-in-law had prayed and prayed and prayed. Sister McCombers had prayed week after week, had requested prayer in our sanctuary for, for, for her children. And uh, finally, Angie came to the service that night and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. That was one of the greatest turnarounds that I've ever seen in her life. She became one of, my, uh, one of my best choir members. She was one of our special singers on Sunday morning. Had the prettiest voice you could ever imagine. Because she could tell you that salvation was real. She put the marijuana down. She put all of those bad habits down that morning at, this, at the old-fashioned altar at the Life and Praise Assembly of God Church in Panama City. Her sins were washed away because salvation was real in her life. There's a story about uh, there was an, uh, a man in our church. Dad may remember him, Brother Theo Johnson. Brother Johnson was just an old welder. Worked at a, at a plant that was... Brother Johnson worked as a welder in, in, a, in a water treatment plant where my brother works nowadays. And he was just a drunk on the weekend, would work, make his paycheck, and, and, and use foul language week after week. But a man in our church, Brother Afton Brady, a co-worker of his, would minister to him, witness to him week after week. And finally, Brother Theo Johnson came to the service on a Sunday night and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And you had to watch Brother Theo Johnson. He sat right there about where Pastor Fowler was. And you had to watch out because any minute he's out to say, Glory! Hallelujah. I mean, he was so excited about Jesus. You had to watch out for Brother Theo. He was liable to interrupt the whole service. Because why? Salvation was real in his life. Billy Bray, the old, uneducated Welch miner, the great evangelist Billy Bray, came to Jesus Christ one evening, gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Billy Bray all, every now and then would sit into the sanctuary. And Billy Bray sometimes would just shout out the praises, glory, hallelujah. And one night they rebuked him and said, Billy Bray, you got to sit down. He said, sit down. He said, I've left the doubters and I've joined the shouters. I'm shouting for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ, my salvation is real. Billy Bray went across the, the countryside preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Billy Gray began to, to preach and preach and preach. And one day somebody asked and said, Billy Bray, how are things in the world? He said, the world? I haven't lived in the world for 12 years. I'm saved. I'm a part of the new world. I'm part of Jesus' world. I'm not part of this world. I have a new life because of my salvation in Jesus Christ. Billy Bray was on his deathbed. And the doctor says, Billy Bray says, you're going to die. He said, die? He said, you mean I get to die? What do you mean? I get to die tonight? He said, yes. He said, glory. He said, I get to go to see the one who died for me. Why? Because salvation is real in my life. Is salvation real in your life? Are you shouting the praises of God? Are you excited about what Jesus has done? I talk so often about my granddad. It seems like I talk about him more since he's died. But my granddad was just an old, I think he had about a third grade education. My granddad worked in the cotton mills of Alabama. And one night, 
one of his, his best friend says in a kind of a joking manner says wt that's what his buddies called and said wt let's go over into the village the village had about three churches a baptist or two churches a baptist and a methodist church and you just they didn't have automobiles so you just walked to one of the churches in the cotton village and so they said they're having a revival over at the methodist church and so the brother davis and and his uh, wiley t and his friend went over to the methodist church and the preacher was preaching and he and he continued to preach and preach and preach and he and he began to give an invitation of salvation and brother davis thought to himself the man would give an invitation said if you want to save we want you to get saved he would preach some more and said if you're going to get saved we want to get you saved and he said to himself the preacher if you hush i'll come down and get saved and brother davis went down got saved and he went to church he went to church week after week and finally he heard the call it says son i need you will you come he said that's all he heard that was all he heard will you come and he said he turned his life over to christ and to the ministry of jesus christ money fame fortune all of the things were placed aside because the salvation was real and he wanted to preach the gospel of jesus christ he told me he said brad i never regretted it any to all the days of my life because why christ said come come unto me i will give you rest folks salvation is real how's your salvation tonight is it real are you like billy bray do you want to shout it he's real in my life tonight is your salvation real notice one other thing heaven and hell are real heaven or hell are real you have the choice when you leave this earth it's either heaven or it's hell a man was asked one time by his buddy who was a christian said will you ask god if i'm uh, <clears throat> if i'm going to heaven i said all right i'll do that for you so he asked god I said god you think my buddy's going to heaven god answered him. he came back to his buddy he says um he says i got good news and i got bad news he said what's the good news he says you're going to heaven he said what's the bad news you're going tonight so um heaven and hell you got either place why because they are real is death look at death first corinthians chapter 15 verse number 54 so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a story of a young boy who got stung by a bee one time. He almost died from that bee. And one day, after some time later, he was in his car. The family was in the car, and a bee got in the car. But his daddy, he didn't realize his daddy had gone and taken the stinger out of the bee. But the boy was terrified, but he told the boy, says, don't be afraid. The stinger is gone. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of death because the stinger is gone. The sin is gone because of what I did at Calvary. The sin has been placed up. It's put away. The stinger is gone. Heaven or hell, you have a choice. Romans 8 verse number 18 says the suffering of this present time aren't worthy to be revealed to that which is to be revealed unto us romans 8 verse verse number 18 we have a choice heaven or we got a choice of hell you see the thing with the pain and the suffering here on earth is temporary the problem with hell is permanent the pain the suffering we can put up with a little pain 
We can put up with a lot of pain as long as it's temporary. I told Hunter the other night when he had to go get those stitches, I said, son, just grin and bear for a couple of seconds. As that shot goes in there and as it stings just a little bit, I said, when the shot's over with, that'll be it. It'll be numbed up. You can satisfy it. He was able to tolerate it. Why? Because dad said it was just for a short time. Our troubles here on earth are just for a short time if we know that salvation is real, that Christ is real, that God is real tonight. Are you looking for the day when God is in charge of a bright future? History is not dead indeed. When history comes to an end, when Jesus comes back to clean up the mess, his people are going to shine. And he, just as he has promised, oh death, where is our victory? Why? Because we have victory in Jesus Christ. Because God is real, Christ is real, our salvation is real, and heaven is real. Are you looking forward to that day? There was a man who was sitting on a park bench. He was reading his Bible. The man says, what are you doing? He says, I'm reading my Bible. What are you reading? I'm reading Revelations. Oh, Revelation says, tell me, what happens at the end of Revelation? He says, son, I can tell you what happens in the Revelations in two words. What did the preacher say the other night? He can preach Revelations in three minutes. I can preach it in two words. You want to know what I say? God wins. That's all that matters, folks. When it's all said and done, God wins. God has victory over death, hell, and the grave. God wins. Victory. Victory in Jesus. Do you love the Lord tonight? Do you have salvation tonight? Brother Anthony, come help me. Uh, Dawn, come help me. In your hymnals. I want to close with this. We're going to close in the eight, eight, number, 812 in your hymnal tonight. Do you have that victory tonight? Is Christ real in your heart tonight? Are you looking forward to that return of Jesus Christ? Are you excited about when Jesus is coming back? To his people, are you glad that Jesus has victory tonight? Is Christ real in your heart tonight? Hymn number 812. Sing it. Stand with us and sing it as you rejoice. <laughs> 